Let's pray together. Our Lord, we really are grateful for your word. Your word is living and active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to pierce us to the core of who we are. And so we pray that you would sanctify us by your word. Your word is the truth. And help us, Lord, to not simply be hearers of the word and, and so deceive ourselves, but that we would indeed do what it says. May the Spirit who inspired your word also inspire our hearts so that we would listen and respond. We can't do any of those things apart from you, and so we ask that you would respond and do that very thing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have a strong feeling that productivity in Philadelphia has been at a tremendously low uh, period in this last couple of weeks. I mean, even if you're at work, right, I imagine you're probably watching press conferences or highlight videos from last week or reading articles or making plans for the big game, or maybe that's just me, I don't know. I mean, I, I promise I was honestly working, but it was just during the breaks that I was kind of doing this thing. I feel like I, I, I sense judgment, especially from you, Shelly, this, like, this feeling of judgment from you. But in all honesty... We're all a bit distracted uh, as a city, and that's because this Eagles team has brought so much joy to our city. We're so proud of them. And, and what's cool is that this team isn't just likable for what they're doing on the field. They're also really likable for what they're doing off the field as well. Uh, like, for example, I'm pretty sure that many of you have heard the story of Chris Long. Uh, Chris Long is the son of Howie Long, and he plays defensive end for our team. Earlier this season, uh, Long announced that he was going to be donating his entire salary, his entire salary to improve education in, in Philly, in Boston, and St. Louis, the different places that he's played, right? This is what he said. He said, for me as a student growing up, I had everything I could ask for. Every resource was at my disposal. I went to a private school. I had tutoring. I had all the mentoring opportunities I needed. And now I think it's right for me to give back to give other students the same opportunities that I had. That's a million dollars of his salary being given away, all of it given away to people who are in need, to schools that are in need. How awesome is that? You know, in Chris's mind, he recognizes that he has been tremendously blessed, and so his thought is, I'm going to bless others in the way that I have been blessed, right? And the thing is, that's cool is that there's a bunch of players on this Eagles team that's doing very similar things. Like Lane Johnson do donated $100,000 to the school district of Philadelphia. I mean, we know about the school district of Philadelphia and all the needs that he has. it has. Consider $100,000 will go a long way. Carson Wentz donated $120,000 to help folks with special needs. And the list goes on and on and on. And you see, when celebrities or, or players do these type of things, we see it as admirable. We see it as commendable. We see it as praiseworthy. But I think if we were to be honest, I think we also see it as something that's to be expected. We hear about these things, and we also imagine that these things should be happening. Because in our minds, it makes a lot of sense. We reason it this way. We say, you know, you guys have been so blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. You guys have been so blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. Or you guys have been given so much stuff so that you can give to others a bunch of stuff. In fact, we so believe this that we can even criticize the rich and the famous when they don't do this sort of thing. 
There was this article written in The Atlantic, it's an online paper, that said this. They said that the wealthiest Americans donate 50% less than the poorest Americans. That the wealthiest Americans donate 50% less than the poorest Americans. You guys should have seen the comments on this article, right? I mean, people were ripping up the wealthy. They, they were disappointed. They were angry. They were even furious that the wealthy weren't giving away more of their money. Why? Because deep down, in, in one form or the other, we all sort of believe this thing. You have been blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. You have been blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. We see the, the text that we're looking at together this morning, it actually believes that same thing. Except this passage isn't pointing to the rich and famous. This passage is actually pointing to us, to those who are sitting in this room this morning. This passage is looking at you and me and saying, you have been so blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. You have been so blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. So what do I mean? So my road, we're on this, this final sermon of this really short series on gospel, community, and mission. These are sort of the, the three words that describe our DNA. It describes what we want to be about as a church. We want to be a church that is committed to the gospel, that lives in community, and is sent on mission for Jesus. And can I say, we have seen God tremendously bless us over these last eight years. God has tremendously blessed us over these last eight years. We're not perfect, right? That's obvious. We're not perfect. But by God's kindness, we as a church are continually growing in the gospel. We as a church are, are, are continually growing in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. I'm constantly being so encouraged by, by the stories that I hear of how your lives are being transformed by this gospel truth. I hear stories about how you are fighting addictions, and the fuel for you fighting that addiction is the gospel. I hear of stories about how there are broken relationships among us, and those relationships are being mended because of the power of the gospel. I hear stories about how you're clinging to Jesus, even in the midst of great suffering in your life. And the reason why you do so is because of the power of the gospel. And you see, we're not just growing individually. We're also growing as a community. I hear stories of how you care for one another when you find each other in need. I hear stories about how you share meals together, how you share laughter and tears with one another. Some of my road, God has blessed us tremendously as a church over these last eight years. And that's exactly why I think we need to consider this passage this morning. Because here's the thing, there's a great danger that exists for those who are enjoying God's blessing. There's a great danger looming for those who are growing in the gospel in particular and, and growing in community. And that danger is this, that in the midst of enjoying God's blessing, we can forget why it is that God has blessed us. That in the midst of enjoying God's blessing, we can forget why it is that God has blessed us. That we can be so consumed with God's blessing in our lives that we can forget God's purpose for our lives. 
We can be so consumed with God's blessing in our lives that we can forget God's purpose for our lives. We can be so consumed with the blessing of gospel and the blessing of community then we can ignore God's mission. And that's why we need Psalm 67. Because Psalm 67 reminds us of why it is that God blesses us. If I could sum up this entire psalm into one sentence, I would say it this way, right? I would say, God blesses his people so that ultimately all people would know God. Right? God blesses his people so that ultimately all people would know God. That's the idea, right? That's what we want to consider together this morning. So let's jump right in. We're looking at Psalm 67. I want to encourage you to pull out the Bibles in front of you. We're on page 481. Psalm 67. We're just going to camp out on verse 1 for uh, quite a bit of time. Listen to what verse 1 says. It says, May God be gracious to us. And bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah. You see, that word Selah is a a musical term that simply means pause. It's it's almost as if to say, listen, don't move on too quickly. We know we want to get through this passage, but take some time, right? Let this, the the truth of verse 1 just sort of sink in and soak into your life for a second. So let's do that, right? You see, if you were a Jew at that time, and you were singing this psalm, as they would, the first verse would sound actually very familiar to you. As you were singing it, you would hear it and immediately know that this sounds like a a blessing that we have heard in a previous book. They would know that this this blessing comes from a book called Numbers, Numbers chapter 6 specifically. You see, back then, people would go to the priest, and they would ask the priest for a blessing. And the priest would say something like this. This is from Numbers chapter 6. He would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's what he was saying. Because you see, whether it was thousands of years ago or whether we're talking about 2018, what you and I want from God is exactly the same. We want God to be gracious to us and we want God to bless us. But would you take a moment to pause for a second? Would you take a moment to consider what it is that we are saying? Would you consider, even for a moment, the audacity of that request? We're asking God to be gracious to us and to bless us. Two weeks ago, we heard the story of the prodigal son, the story of the son who wanted nothing to do with his dad, right? The story of a son who basically considered his living dad to be dead. He asked for his inheritance. And the son that took his father's inheritance, his living father's inheritance, and threw it away. He threw it away on wine and and women and every type of selfish desire he could come up with. Now imagine if that same son comes home, and after doing all that he has done and lived the way that he has lived, what if he comes home and he doesn't just ask for forgiveness, He doesn't just ask for mercy. He doesn't just ask not to be punished for what he has done, which is mercy. No, instead, what if he asks for grace? After doing all that he has done, what if he asks for even more of what he hasn't deserved? After doing all that he has done, what if he asks for even more blessing from his dad? What if he's requesting even more riches from his father? We would say, are you crazy? Like, be quiet. Uh, the, the fact that your dad doesn't kill you should be good enough. 
right? How dare you ask him for more grace and blessing? But you see, this, this psalm, this psalm is telling us to pause. This psalm is telling us to selah and to consider for a moment what God is like. Because you see, God would look at verse 1 and he would say, that's not audacious at all. Those requests are not audacious at all. In fact, I'm telling you, I'm telling you to come and to ask for grace and blessing. You, you who were once dead in your sin and trespasses, you should come and ask for grace and blessing. You who wanted nothing to do with me, who lived life trying to hide yourself away from me, you should come and ask for grace and for blessing. You who lived in active rebellion against me, who didn't do a single thing that I asked from you, you should come and ask for grace and blessing. You who were deserving of death and the wrath of God, who should be separated from him forever, who should have no relationship with him at all, you should come and ask for grace and for blessing. God is saying to you, listen, come, come and receive what you do not deserve. Not only will I show you mercy, I will overwhelm you with the grace of God. He says, come, come and ask for more and more of what you do not deserve. And in fact, he says, and when you do come, my face will shine upon you. My face will shine upon you. You see, a shining face is the, the opposite of an angry face or a disappointed face, right? A shining face is not the face of indifference or disgust. No, God is saying, listen, when you come to me, it's sort of like my, my face lights up when I see you. My face lights up when I see you. Every time, my face lights up. You're not coming to a God who is tired of you, right? You're not coming to a God who can't get over what you have done in your life. You're not coming to a God where you're trying to pry open the hands of a God who's just sort of so frustrated with you asking for more and more. No, when, when you come, his face lights up. He delights in you. He loves it when you ask. In fact, he tells you you should ask. It never gets old or tired for him. He loves to give grace and, and blessing to his children. Sam, I wrote, just as a, a quick tangent, I, I hope that's, that's a word of encouragement to you this morning. Because if you're anything like me, I imagine that you're sitting here this morning, and if you're being honest, you think that God is so sick of you. If you were to be honest, if just transparent for a moment, you imagine that God is just so sick of you. I mean, you know your life. You know your failures and the things that you have done the things that you have left undone, that you should have done. And if you were to imagine God's face, it would at best be a look of indifference, at best. And your greatest fear is that maybe that he has a look of anger or disappointment at you. You imagine that maybe God is just sort of putting up with you, but the psalmist wants to remind you this morning that that is so far from how God looks at those who come to him. Brother and sister, because of Jesus, you can be sure, you can be sure, confident that God delights in you. His face is shining upon you. It already is. In fact, it's sort of like you're asking for more of what is already yours, what is already true of you. He does. He does. He gives grace. He blesses us. And his face shines upon us. 
But I want you to notice something. Do you notice that after this first verse, there's a pause, but there is not a period? There's a pause, but there isn't a period. It's not, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, period. As if to say, that's the, that's the end of the sentence. Now we move on to the next point. That's not what it's saying. No, the psalmist has more to that thought, right? He, he's not done yet. In fact, I want to say that maybe the next word that we see here is probably the most important word of this entire psalm. Take a look. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that. You see, there's a purpose that God has behind his blessing. God blesses his people so that something else would happen. What is that? Listen to what it says. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that... Your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. In other words, God blesses his people so that ultimately all people would know God. God blesses his people so that ultimately all people would know God, that all the earth would know the way of God that all the, earth, the nations would know of God's saving power. You know, when the psalmist says here, all the earth or all the nations, or later he'll even say all the peoples, he's referring to every tribe and tongue and ethnic group in this world. Scholars today, they believe that they've identified at least 11,000, some say 16,000 different people groups, different ethnic groups in this world. These are people who share a common language, that share common cultural characteristics, and they say there's at least 11,000 different people groups in this world. Would you consider that for a moment? Like people like the 11 million Kazakhs of Kazakhstan, or the 2 million Berbers of, of Morocco, or, or the, the 5 million Hakka of Taiwan, and the list goes on and on and on and on, 11,000 at least, different people groups all over the world. Well, what is this psalm saying? That God blesses his people so that ultimately every single one of these people groups would know him. All the nations would know him. All the peoples would know him. In fact, one commentator said it this way. He said that in this psalm, three different Hebrew words are being used for people and nations in this passage. Right? Three different. It's almost like he's making sure that not a single one of them is being left out. From north to south, from east to west, from, from first world to third world, from urban to rural, from every tribe and, and tongue and people group, all will come to know him. God blesses his people so that ultimately all people will know God. And what I want you to know is that this isn't some sort of new plan that this psalmist came up with. You see, this is how God has been operating since the beginning. This is the game plan from the beginning. In fact, it's rooted in the promise that, that God makes to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Consider, it's going to be on the screen behind me. This is what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, by blessing Abraham, God was going to bless the world. By blessing Abraham, God was going to make himself known to all the nations of the world. That was the plan from the beginning. And as we read the scriptures, it's amazing to see how this thing actually unfolds. That's exactly what he does. In fact, look at Exodus 14.4. It'll be on the screen. It says this, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. What's the plan? By blessing, by rescuing the Israelites, the Egyptians would come to know of God. Or consider King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, this, this pagan king who lives in Babylon. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, nah, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, you try saying that from up here, okay? <laughs> and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a degree, de decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. What happens? By rescuing, by, by blessing these three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this pagan king of Babylon would come to know of God's saving power. Do you see it happening? Or consider one more. Queen Sheba of Ethiopia. You see, there was this powerful woman from the, country, from the continent of Africa who didn't know God, right? Who gets this opportunity to, to meet King Solomon, the, the king of Israel, and listen to what she says. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told, told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord, your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. What happens? By meeting God's people, by meeting Solomon, and seeing how God has blessed them, this unbelieving African queen will come to know of the God of Israel. Do you see what's happening? We can give 50 more examples, but do you see what's happening? From nation to nation, right? From people to people, from Egypt to Babylon to Ethiopia and beyond, God is blessing his people so that ultimately all people would know God. Now, here's the thing. Thousands of years later, in 2018, God's game plan hasn't changed. What he once did through his people, Israel, he now does through his people, the church. Listen, ever since the Garden of Eden, the whole world has been separated from God, right? And because of their sin, people will not, they, they cannot naturally know the way of God. They just can't. So people don't naturally know that their sins can be forgiven. 
People don't naturally know that there is a sure way back to God. People don't naturally know that that way back to God is through the death and, and, and resurrection, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They don't naturally know that. And so that's why God's plan is to bless us. His plan is to bless us so that we can point those who don't know to God's saving power. You see, that's exactly why Jesus says to the church in the Great Commission. What does he say? He, say, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't just say, stay in your block. He says, of all nations. Or, or he says to the disciples in Acts, he says, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He tells the earliest disciples that. Because you see, this has been God's game plan all along. God blesses his people so that ultimately... All people would know God. Do you know what that means, Seven Mile Road? That means that this mission is both as small as your neighborhood and as grand as the world. This mission is as small as your neighborhood and as grand as the world. It means that God intends to save people who live across the street from you as well as those who live across the world from you. Both are important and necessary for him. And what that means is that we, as a church, should give our lives to both. We should give our lives to sharing the gospel with our, our friends and our neighbors all over our city. We love our city. We want to see our city being transformed by the gospel. But we should also give our lives to sharing the gospel with people that we don't even know yet who live across the world. We should do both. We should give our lives to making Christ known by planting churches all over Philadelphia. Every street of Philadelphia needs to hear the gospel, so we should do that. But we should also give our lives to making Christ known by, by planting churches all across the world. I've heard there's like 6,000 people groups that haven't even heard the name of Christ yet. 6,000 that haven't even heard the name of Christ yet. We should plant churches all across the world. We should give our lives to praying for our friends at, at Anne Frank and North Hills and every other place that we're connected to, that they may know Christ. But we should also pray for complete strangers in, in places like Kyrgyzstan, like Adam prayed this morning, that they may know Christ as well. Seven Mile Road, this is what God has called us to do. He has blessed us so that people across the street and people across the world would come to know Christ. And when we say know Christ, we're not just sort of referring to some kind of intellectual knowledge. That's not what we're talking about. The psalmist isn't saying that all nations will know things about God. It's, it's much more than that. No, it's, it's a knowledge that will ultimately lead them to praise God, the text says. It's like when they really get to know God, they can't help but praise him. Look, look at what verse 3 says. It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. In fact, he, he wants you to hear that so much, he says the same exact thing again in verse 5. He says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see, they, the nations, will so know him that they can't help but praise him. Let me give you an example. You see, my, my nephews were living in darkness. Well, technically, they were living in Dallas, but it's essentially the same exact thing, right? Right? <laughs> 
And when I used to visit them, I would tell them how great of a city Philadelphia is. I would tell them, and I would explain to them that this is the greatest city in the world. I would tell them that we have the greatest food in the world. You've never tasted food like this before. I would tell them that we have the greatest people in the world. You've never met people like this before. <laughs> and I would say, listen, there's so much richness and, and culture and history to our city, but it would just sort of, sort of like go in one ear and out the other. And then two years ago, they came to visit, right? And when they did come here, I decided I'm no longer going to just tell them about this city. I will let them experience this great city. So you know what I did? I got them into the car, and I drove down 95, and I slowed down as soon as we got to the Lincoln Financial Field, and I pointed and I said, that's the greatest stadium that ever existed in this world. Do you see it? The Coliseum, what is that? Look at the, link, the Lincoln Financial Field. And then we kept driving, and we drove down to South Street. And then I gave them the biggest slice of pizza that they have ever seen in their lives from Lorenzo's. And they ate that. And they were like, oh, my gosh, what is this? Right? And they went from there. And then we went to the art museum. And I literally got into the, the bottom of the art museum. And I said, run. Run up the stairs. Right? I wanted them to experience it. I wanted them to know what it was like to run up the greatest stairs that exist in the entire world. And they ran up those stairs. And then we went to Spruce Street Harbor. And we played cornhole together. And then I, I drove them down to gyms. And I gave them a cheesesteak. And they said, this is the greatest sandwich that has ever existed in the entire world. And they ate it. And I showed them buildings. And, and I showed them streets that are hundreds of years old. And at the end of the day, when we drove home, and I'm just exaggerating, they looked at me and they said, it's true. <laughs> They're like, this city is amazing, right? Uh, we love Philly so much. I mean, there was like a, tear, a single teardrop that came down because I felt like, now you know, you've seen the light, right? What happened? You see, they didn't just have some sort of intellectual knowledge about our city. No, they had a chance to really experience our city, to experience what it's like. And when they did that, when they experienced what it's really like, when they interacted with its people, they couldn't stop talking about it. They couldn't stop praising it. Listen, would you consider for a moment, that's exactly the goal of mission. John Piper said this. He said, the goal of missions is the gladness of all peoples in the greatness of God. The goal of missions is the gladness of all peoples in the greatness of God. You see, in the end, we don't just want people to, in the world to know about God. We don't just want them to know about God. No, instead, by getting to know God, by getting to know his people, we want them to enjoy, to, found, to find joy, to find the ultimate gladness in knowing God. In fact, that's what verse 4 says. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. I'm so grateful for verse 4 because I think it makes clear for me the intention, the, the motivation behind mission. Because sometimes in our mind, mission can feel a lot like those people who are trying to sell you something, right? In my, in my uh, local Walmart uh, in Willow Grove, there's, there's been recently these Verizon Fios representatives that are setting up their tables inside of the store. Like, I don't even get how that happens, but they're like setting up, they're like on aisle eight between the waffles and the ice cream, right? It's crazy. They're set up in there, 
And as you walk by, you're trying like everything you can to not make, make eye contact with them because this is a conversation that you just do not want. I came here to buy waffles, right? Not sign up for internet when I came to Walmart. And so that you're walking through, but no matter how hard you try, it's like they trap you, they're like ninjas. They come out of somewhere and they, they ask you like, hey, who's your internet provider? How much are you paying for a month? And, and you know, no, the truth is no one ever wants to have these conversations with these people, right? Because you're convinced that at the end of the day, they're just trying to convert you. That's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to increase their numbers. This isn't ultimately about what's best for you. This is all about them. And you see, if we're not thinking about it correctly, that's exactly what mission can feel like. But verse 4 corrects us. Verse 4 reminds us that the real reason why you want people of the world to know God is not because we're trying to sell them something that they don't need, but instead, because we're trying to point them to the very thing that their heart desires. He is, and what he does is the very thing that their heart is longing for. Look at verse 4, the rest of it. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. In other words, when people encounter the justice and the power of God, they can't help but sing for joy and be glad. Can I ask you for a second? Isn't that what the entire world is longing for? For someone to, to rule and to judge with equity. For someone to finally guide the nations, to guide my life. You know, when we watch the news for just five minutes... And we see reports of, of terrorism and, and scandal of every kind and, and of abuse of power and the, the poor being marginalized and the weak being killed all over this world. Shouldn't you and I rejoice in the fact that one day God will come and he will bring justice to this entire world. He will make all things right. He will make all things right. Shouldn't we be filled with gladness that God will always use his power, unlike every other leader in the world, unlike every other ruler in this world. God will always use his power to do what is right in this world. Doesn't that fill our hearts with gladness? Don't we long for that sort of, that, that sort of ruling and, and leading? Isn't this what every nation is hoping for? Isn't this the God who every nation, every people is longing to hear about? We're not selling people things that they don't need. We're, we're pointing them to the very desire of their heart. And some of my wrote, that's why God has blessed us. God has blessed his people so that ultimately all people would know God. So that ultimately all people would praise and rejoice and be glad in him. So what do we do from here? I can think of three practical ways, quick practical ways to live out this psalm. I think we should do three things. We should learn, we should give, and we should go. We should learn, we should give, and we should go. The first I think this psalm should lead us to learn. You know, often I think what keeps us from mission is our ignorance. It's our fear. 
we either don't know enough about the world around us or we don't even know how to engage the world around us. So I want to recommend two resources to you, really practical, right? The first is that I want to recommend a resource called Perspective. It's, it's a multiple-week course that teaches you about the biblical, historical, cultural, and strategic perspectives on mission. Now, that might not sound appealing to you, but I want you to talk to, I want you to, talk to people that have actually taken the course because every person that has taken this course has nothing but amazing things to say about it. They rave about how much it has shaped their heart for, for the mission of God. It has shaped their heart and, and stirred their affections for the lost of this world. And, and they will tell you of how much this course has impacted them. You can talk to Joe Verghese, who has taken it. You can talk to Ajay. You can talk to David and Larissa. They've all taken this course, and they would tell you how beneficial, how useful it is. I would encourage you to consider mission more deeply by taking this course. Secondly, some of us struggle with this idea of, of personal evangelism, right? We have people in our lives, friends, family, co-workers, whoever it might be, that don't know Jesus. But, but if we were to be honest, we don't exactly know what it looks like to engage them with the gospel. Well, in the next couple of months here at Seven Mile Road, we're going to be offering a series of classes on evangelism right? And we're going we're to make it as practical as possible. We're going to get the opportunity for you to learn some skills, to ask questions, to, to learn together, thinking about real-life people in your lives, right? So I want to encourage you, if, if the thought of sharing the gospel with people freaks you out, come and learn some things from people who do it well so that we can learn together and, and be able to, to be better about telling people about Christ. So we should learn. But this, this psalm should not just lead us to learn, but also lead us to give, right? Verse 6 of this psalm says this. It says, the earth has yielded his, its increase. You see, until now, it's like the psalmist was just talking about the spiritual blessings of God. But in this verse, the language seems to be a little bit different. It's using farming language. It's using a language of harvest. It's communicating this idea of material blessing, that God not just blesses us spiritually, but he also blesses us materially as well. Well, let me ask you, what if this psalm so sunk into the depths of our heart that you saw every blessing in your life, whether it's spiritual or material, as just another means to make God known to the world? You see, brother and sister, as Americans, we live in the top percent of the wealthiest people in this world. We live in the top percent of the wealthiest people in the world. We are some of the wealthiest people that have ever lived on this planet. I want you to hear that. It doesn't matter even what level of income that you make in this room. You are among the wealthiest people that have ever lived on this planet. And I don't say that to make us feel guilty, but to remind us of the, the opportunity that we have as Americans, as those who are experiencing these riches. You see, what if we were so convinced by this psalm that we were willing to put everything on the table, right? That, that when God blesses us with greater wealth, that we wouldn't just think about bigger homes and nicer cars and more things that we could be enjoying. But what if we use these blessings to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What if we took our money that God has blessed us with and we did things like support church plants all over the world, in our city? What if we used our money and we gave more to missionaries who are on the ground doing this sort of work? What if this psalm doesn't just transform our mind and our heart, but even down to our wallet? 
It changes the way that we think about our things, even the way that we spend our money. We should pray in that way. Finally, this psalm should lead us to go. This psalm should lead us to go. Can you hear this for a second? Selma wrote, some of you who are sitting in this room this morning, some of you should genuinely consider picking up your stuff and moving. God may be calling you to various nations across the world. Even as we, as a church, in our three-year plan, as we're considering through the planting of a church in a different nation, I want to say to you, some of you should think about, pray about, commit yourself to being there in that church plant, being a part of that core team that's going to be launching in a few years, God willing. What if God has blessed you spiritually and materially so that you can directly make God known to people all across this world? That you would willingly give up your wealth and your blessings so that the nations would come to know of Christ, so that all people would rejoice and be glad in him. We should pray for that. We should literally pray that a few years from now, some of the people who are sitting in this room are not going to be here any longer because God has called them elsewhere to do other work among other people, people that they have never even met before, even dreamt about before. We should pray in that way. Some of you should go. But I love the way that the psalm ends because it reminds us that God's mission in this world will not be futile. It will come. It will be accomplished. Listen to what it says. It says, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You see, there's no doubt in the psalmist's mind. God will bless us. God will bless his people. And through their blessing, all the ends of the earth will hear and know about God and love him and, and, and worship him and be glad in him and sing for joy about him. In fact, that's the very picture that the, the last book of the Bible, Revelations, paints for us of that last day. Look at, the, look at how God's word describes that last day. Would you hear it? Would you consider it for a moment? It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Seven Mile Road, this will happen. The mission of God is not futile. This will happen. God guarantees that it will happen. And guess what? God has invited us to be a part of the process of making this a reality. You see, not only has he given us the gospel, he has. Not only has he given us this community, he has. But he also sent us on mission. God has blessed his people so that ultimately all people would know God. So let's go out into the world and live out God's purpose for our lives. Let's pray together.